Welcome to the Metal Tech Podcast, this region's leading business podcast, shining a light on technology, entrepreneurship, and the future of business in Kentucky and beyond. Our goal is to advance the ecosystem by bringing attention to the founders, changemakers, innovators, and those supporting them. Middle Tech's content can be found on your favorite podcast streaming app, social channels, and YouTube. We encourage you to follow and participate in the conversation. Let's discuss and build the future. What's going on, everybody? You've got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones here with the Mill Tech Podcast. We just sat down with Sean O'Leary, who is the founder and CEO of Edge Analytics. Pretty cool conversation. So Edge Analytics is working in the, as it sounds, the analytics space. Uh, and they're creating these models for uh, sports and for gambling and for media industries, uh, allowing them to basically predict and have real-time insights into sporting events. And particularly, they're really deep into the NFL. So a lot of teams are using them in the NFL. Many Super Bowl winners have used them, and they give them a competitive edge using analytics. So pretty exciting conversation. They're in Louisville, Kentucky. They've grown really fast, and he's had really successful exits in the past. So he's a great entrepreneur, uh, and this is an awesome episode to listen to. Yeah, this kind of reminds me, uh, you know, if you enjoyed the movie Moneyball, I feel like you're going to enjoy this conversation because it just talks about, you know, a lot of the conversation centers around how data uh, and these large data sets can be used to predict outcomes in certain situations. Obviously, nothing is going to be certain, but we've all seen those game predictors where the uh, win rate will fluctuate up and down. It's this type of data and this type of analytics that are powering uh, tools like that. So this was a fun conversation for us to kind of dive into all of the analytics and data that are, are going on in the sports and, and gambling industry. Uh, we got to talk about Sean's career prior to coming on and starting Edge Analytics. Like Evan mentioned, he had an exit uh, so he's a, an experienced entrepreneur. Um, we talked about how he actually went about starting Edge Analytics. And then uh, also about, as we always do, the Louisville ecosystem, uh, what can be improved there and what's going well there currently. So this is a conversation we're excited for you guys to listen to. But before we dive in, we just want to get a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Land Betterment. Land Betterment is doing some incredible work throughout Appalachia and Eastern Kentucky as they are taking abandoned strip mines and putting sustainable businesses in their place. These businesses not only provide a useful repurposing of the land, but they also provide great jobs to replace the mining jobs that were lost when the mine was shut down. To learn more about Land Betterment, you can listen to our interview with their founders, Mark Jensen and Kirk Taylor, on episode 97, or visit their website at landbetterment.com. We're also sponsored by Airwing Ventures. Airwing helps determined entrepreneurs seeking resources to grow with capital and connections in order to build successful companies and impactful legacies. They're all about high growth companies, high growth careers, and high growth communities. I've personally known Dan Beldy for about four years now, and I've seen the work he's been doing in the community, and we should all feel very blessed and grateful that a VC like himself is here in Kentucky. I encourage you to connect with Airwing and learn more Let's all grow this state together. You can reach out to Dan at info at airwing.vc or dan at airwing.vc. And their website is www.airwing.vc.
Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Logan Jones and Evan Knowles sitting here in the Osmink studio in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, and today we are joined by Sean O'Leary, who is the founder and CEO of Edge Analytics, a startup up in Louisville, Kentucky that we've been uh, wanting to get on for a while now. We're so glad we finally got connected to them through Stacy Griggs, who we just had on uh, with El Toro not too long ago. Um, but welcome on to Middle Tech. Thanks for Thanks, joining guys. us. Yeah, it's great to be here. Really excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. So we're just going to go ahead and dive on in here and, and talk a little bit about the origin of Edge Analytics. So just to start, describe to us the founding uh, of the company and how it came to be. Yeah. So we were founded uh, eight years ago, August 1st. Um, so we're in that um, preteen world, if you will, uh, of a company. Uh, I was friends with Frank Frigo 20 odd years ago. We were both in the energy space and I, I moved back here from Houston, Texas uh, to start working on a business plan for a, um, for a company that became um, Genscape. It was an energy information business that I started in town with Sterling Lipinski, um, also a former Louisvillian um, that, um, you know, worked out, worked out great. But Frank was also in the energy space when I moved back and we became fast friends. He had just won, I think a few years previously, the World Backgammon Championship. And I just thought that was such an interesting interesting thing to, uh, you know, to win on a global basis and having him be in a basement office next to mine in Louisville was, was pretty cool. So we became buddies, um, kept in touch, uh, fast forward about seven or eight years, we had sold Genscape. Um, we were still running the business here in town and he and Chuck Bauer, his partner had approached me and Sterling to talk about, um, you know, the fact that they had built this model, this simulation model for football off of, um, the same methodology that was used for the bots in games like backgammon and chess, right? So the computer that you would play in those games. And they saw as these players at this world-class level that the machines were, were not only beating them consistently, but also allowing them to see their, um, you know, their ELO ratings or their ratings get better. So like most things in life, when you play against something or someone better than you, you get better as well, even if you lose consistently. And they found that to be the case. So as a labor of love, they built a football model because they saw football being a game similar to backgammon and chess where plays are run, the board resets, you have multiple decisions in front of you that each decision can, through simulation, come back with an expected win probability if you go down path A, B, C, or D. And this was about the time that Moneyball came out. So it was very hot topic at the time using you know, more predictive and prescriptive analytics in, in sports. Um, so they soft shooed their idea and their model around to a number of NFL teams. They got some consulting contracts and got a lot of great media exposure, which was fun, but they were really trying to figure out what to do as a business. Um, so in 2013, I had left Genscape and was thinking about my next endeavor and Frank and I sat down for a beer and he said, hey, listen, I think we might have something here. We have an opportunity to work with the Philadelphia Eagles this fall. And, um, you know, we think there's a business here, but we need some help to make a go of it. So we formed Edge and that's what we did. We started, we started at that point. So as a user of this, uh, the ROI is predictability and basically insights live during the game to inform decision-making. Is that, is that fair to describe the product? Yeah. Well? Yeah. I think that's the core and the, and the biggest piece of value, you know, what we found Evan, which I thought was really interesting and more so in hindsight is 
you know, every year that we've been in business, our biggest revenue stream has actually come from the betting community, specifically, you know, pre-PASPA repeal three years ago when it was, when it was still only legal in, in Vegas, um, you know, groups, large professional syndicates over in Europe, uh, in legal jurisdictions. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's the biggest thing. Pre-game, we're very good at understanding the relative strengths and weaknesses going into a game and what the expected outcome would be. But then that pervades throughout the game play-by-play. And that's really where the market is headed is, is what we call in-running, um, in-running markets where prop bets and, and you know, people are allowed or able to go in and look at you know, individual play-by-play to see how that might impact the outcome of the game. So we're very good at that. And we've also gotten a lot of great exposure with the media. Um, you know, we were the only screen that Troy Aikman had available to him during the Super Bowl two years ago when the Chiefs played the 49ers, right? And providing him insights through his, you know, through the, the microphone, through his, you know, his year, um, you know, when decisions were being made, what were good, what were bad, why, how much it cost, you know, an expected win probability, things like that. So very proud of what we built. It's, it's not just the oldest, but it's also, you know, we, we believe very strongly it's, it's the most accurate. Yeah. So you've got consumers using this to inform how they're going to bet and giving them new experiences to bet. And you've got play-by-play announcers, but talk about the coaches. Are the coaches getting access to this? Or are they, how are they interfacing with it? And um, got some follow-up questions related to that. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So um, yes, we do work with NFL teams. We worked with NFL teams since our first year. Uh, it's usually a handful. It's not a ton, um, but we work with, you know, somewhere between usually six to 12 teams. Um, the average record over the last six years or so of the teams that have used our stuff has been 10 and a half wins, five and a half losses. So we work with teams that are serious about really trying to find some edge and winning the games. Um, there are restrictions in college and pro currently against the use of our sort of technology live in game. So we also provide what we call um, just the books. So we, we, we actually print out a fairly extensive analysis just for fourth downs, for instance, for teams to, to use as a quick reference through charts um, during the game. So, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs, for instance, is a, is a, they're a great client of ours. And, and that's what they use. They print off a book that is that is probably about three inches thick. Um, not exaggerating and it's just different game states, right? It's just a hard copy version of what the model output output would be at any given point. But because of the, the, the restrictions on the use of the technology, that's what they're, that's what they're forced to do, but that's what they do. So, now we do have one other product for high school, uh, because 49 of the 50 states don't have any restrictions at all against the use of technology. So it's called edge varsity. It's a two screen app. It's extremely simple to use. The first screen allows the coaches to set their own uh, relative strengths and weaknesses with their upcoming opponent based on their scouting report. And the second screen is used as the in-game um, kind of computer, if you will, to help them understand the impact of play calling and the, you know, the right thing to do at a certain time in the game. So with these analytics that you're able to deliver coaches and their teams, talk a little bit about how customized they are versus if it's just kind of data that's been collected historically is this like if somebody if the chiefs are playing a particular opponent are you guys getting the data on that particular opponent or is it more so hey over the this historical data set this is what we're seeing on you know fourth down plays and their conversion rates what does it look like in terms of how niche it gets yeah that's a really great question um that's a really great question we have 
that's, that is our secret sauce. So we do a fantastic job. We track every single play for every game, uh, in the NFL. And we look at the outcome relative to what's expected for, for even and equal teams. So when you have a deviation on, you know, as you look at every play, it starts to form our opinion of those relative strengths and weaknesses for teams. So if you look at, and you mentioned, let's say, let's say my Detroit lions, right? I'm from Michigan. I'm, I'm a, I'm a desperate fan. I'll just say that. But, um, you know, we know usually by week three, because there's such interplay within the league and there's only 32 teams, usually by about week three-ish or so, we're pretty confident that we know how good Detroit is relative to other teams in their pass offense, right? Or their rush offense or defense, special teams, that sort of thing. So, and that continues to progress throughout the season. So when we hit the playoffs, we feel very, very good about how we would rate those teams. And having football outsiders and their DVOA uh, rankings as well um, and metrics allow us to then layer on another facet of analysis that, that give us a, a strong amount of confidence um, you know as we look at those teams so all those teams are customized um, the simulations we run I mean we'll run eight billion simulations in the course of a season just to see how you know the games will play out and what's expected and we've gone back and look historically at every single time whether it's pre-game the fifth play the ninth play the 90th play uh when we've had a team at 52 percent win probability and they win 52 percent of the time right so i mean we feel really good and that goes through the whole curve of zero to 100 percent, right with zero losing and 100 winning so we feel good about you know the status of that and and coaches are confident with it right i mean we've had teams that have told us like really sophisticated nfl teams um, you know, what you have is the most accurate thing. We know that, but our coach doesn't know the difference between a 4% error and a 2% error. And I'm okay with just doing my own thing, right? I want to, yeah. I want to have my model work. And so we, we do some of that, you know, we, we, we do some consulting work to help teams improve what they've got, but if they want the gold standard, they usually come to us. And that's why the teams that work with us typically have really good records because they're serious about it. And they're like, why mess with it? Let's just get the very best thing we can. So when you say that's why teams work with you, is that the ROI that teams are are looking for, I assume, is is wins? And talk about how you guys kind of quantify the ROI on that in terms of the the data and the analytics that you guys are giving them. Is it purely just, hey, we're going to help you guys get these wins, or is it we're going to help you guys get more predictive with the plays that you're calling and, and hopefully call better plays? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. But, I mean, we can show that the average NFL team, despite all the rhetoric um, and the investment about, about and in analytics, um, and we see it across sports, um, they still lose about a game a year just on poor decision-making on fourth downs, mm. okay? And, and that's with 16-game season, right? So 17, you'll assume it's going to go up a little bit. But if you think about that, think about how many teams are somewhere between 7 and 9 and 9 and 7 fighting for a playoff spot that last week or two. Right. And it's cumulative over the course of the season. So if you make one 6% error, right, if you pick path A and path B was worth, was, would allow you to win 6% more of the time had you gone down the, you know, this different path, that's cumulative. So if you make one of those, um, you know, 6% error a game or two, 3% errors a game over the course of a 16 game season, you're talking about a full game. And that's, yeah, that can be pretty punitive. You layer on, two-point conversions or, you know, one versus two-point decisions, onside 
uh, kicks, other things that you can do on second and third down, knowing what you'll do on fourth down. Um, if the decision is there to go for it on fourth and four or less, you know, there's a lot of different strategies that you can employ through the course of the game based on this information that can really change, help you help improve your chances for winning the game. And theoretically, I have this question is theoretically, if every team in the NFL was using this technology from the viewer's perspective, would it change the game? Like, is there enough uh, that you can predict and tell a coach that and each coach that it would change the game from what it looks like? Or is there just so much chance involved that it wouldn't viewers wouldn't notice like have you imagined what that would look like if every yeah no i think well it's funny we've imagined it a couple different ways um you know one kind of deep dark joke in the offices could we find an ivy league team that would that or 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 a team let's say at the college ranks with a more progressive coach let's say who's got less to risk right in terms of salary in terms of brand that would that would just use our system as the offensive coordinator Right. Digitize the playbook, put a random number generator around it. So there wasn't any predictability in terms of the patterns and just let the computer call the game. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, let's face it, guys. If you play the best chess spot in the world, you will not win ever. Yeah. Right. The best chess player in the world can't beat the best machine right now. We've, we've seen that. We've seen that proven years and years ago. Right. So this is a very similar game. And yes, you've got players and injuries and you've got weather and you've got a lot of other things, but, but we feel very confident that you can build a lot of that in. Um, and, um, you know, so I think the viewership on the, on the next piece, I think the viewership or the viewers would notice a difference in the game because you would find teams would tend to be more aggressive. You would see more fourth down goes, you would see more aggressive, um, two point conversions. You Mm, would see, you would certainly see more onside kicks. Um, we have a lot of ideas here at Edge, right? So, you know, one is we, we think the most valuable player in the league, if you could find them, would be someone who could give a team a 50-50 shot of recovering an onside kick every time, right? Because mm-hmm. you would onside, if you could get to that level um, of recovery rate, you would do that every time you kicked off. There'd be no that's doubt. super interesting. Yeah, so Sounds- that's the that's the... Those are some of the ideas that we've, you know, we've, we've, t- we would love to test more of. That sounds super similar to Moneyball when he's realizing that, you know, you need to have more of the players that get on base. We need more of the players that, that have the best shot at, at uh, recovering that onside kick. That sounds, sounds very similar ways to apply that data. It's a kicker. If you can find a kicker that can pooch a kick 11 yards long, 20 feet in the air, um, while it hits the ground first so that players can't, you know, have a fair catch, then, You've got a reality TV show and a place on a team <laughs> yeah. for the winner, you know? Yeah. Uh, let's talk about maybe some other applications that's going to be used in sports. Um, you, you had talked about the media uh, ecosystem and that you have like play-by-play announcers using this and having access to this. Which is kind of a joke of a question. Has Tony Romo been using this to allow him to predict every play? No, he hasn't. And we <laughs> would love to talk to Tony um, because we think that he is a really good example of someone who's built a brand around being really intelligent and progressive in the way that he presents the material during the game. Uh, we've worked with other folks. I mentioned Troy. Um, you know, Troy approached us and said, listen, I've got a situation here where I am calling the game and I find out later that 
I'm either missing something or I'm making a statement that just wasn't factually correct. And I, and I'm hearing about it very quickly on social media and other things. I want to, he goes, I know you work with coaches. I want to know what they know. And we say, great, we can, we can work with you on that. And, and we have in the past, um, we may in the future, I'm not sure what we're going to do this fall, but, um, you know, I, I think this kind of, I mean, think about the, the broadcast for, and what it's done for world series of poker. Right? And the idea that you've got win probabilities live, I mean, that, that has changed the viewing experience entirely, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it's fun because you as the viewer know what the other player doesn't know. And you're, you're, you're watching them try to figure out what the right thing is to do. Um, coaches are the same way. I mean, we, we would absolutely expect that this type of information, especially now that the leagues and the broadcast um, networks have embrace betting so wholeheartedly recently that this type of information will be on your screen live during the game, right? What is the real-time win probability right now? Because that's what people are going to start to care about. And um, it's pretty exciting. You know, the market's very frothy right now. And we've seen a lot of of M&A. We're going through a process right now where we're really doubling down on the business that we've got in sports so that we can, you know, Take advantage of that. We've made a few acquisitions the last few years. We've got a list of dozens and dozens of companies that we've identified that we want to, you know, that we like. We're not certainly going after all of them, but um, but there's a really neat opportunity to build the premier content and analytics sports business, you know, really in the in the world for gamblers and for uh, fans and fantasy players. So we're we're hoping to do that here in in Louisville. Love that. And so as a gambler, uh, one of the last questions here related to, you know, how does this apply outside of football? As a gambler, uh, are you uh, interfacing with edge analytics and consumer apps? Is it uh, more of a back-end integration? How does how do, the gamble, gambling industry and betting industry no, engage we, with you? No, we, we've just released our Edge Sports 2.0 site. We host it all ourselves. I mean, we do a lot of the modeling internally. Uh, our, you know, we started in football. We acquired Football Outsiders three years ago, and Aaron Schatz and his team of writers. Um, so we're building more of a consumer-facing business through that acquisition. Um, we have the Massey Ratings, which incorporates more sports outside of football. Um, we've got a crack data science team, which is, you know, I think we think a real asset and a real differentiator in the industry that we can do a lot of our stuff in house. Um, but we're looking to grow quickly and acquisition is certainly in, you know, in the cards for us. So that's really the thing. We're going to own the interface. Uh, we would you know, certainly provide data and insights into different third-party media channels. We would expect that in the betting markets, the fact that there's starting to be some consolidation. We saw the score bet this week with being acquired by Penn National. Um, I think th- there was an acquisition this morning or yesterday announced with DraftKings, um, you know, and they continue to buy up other assets. But it's really more the consolidation of the books themselves. As of two weeks ago, there were 25 plus companies registered as sports books in New Jersey alone. And you know, we don't need that many, I don't think. So the expectation is that they'll consolidate and eventually they'll need to start to offer greater tools and insights to drive traffic to their you know, to their inner, you know, to their, their platforms. And we believe that we can be a real differentiator for, you know, I'm, I'm curious, this is kind of a question specifically for you as somebody who's working kind of behind the scenes with these large data sets and seeing how data and analytics can really kind of 
predict things that seem like they should be mostly skill and luck. Does this change your outlook, not only on sports, but just at the world and, you know, at large as, as we gather more and more data around everything we do in our lives. And as you can apply analytics and machine learning to that, I feel like that would kind of change the way I view chance and the way that things unfold in real life. Well, it's about probabilities, right? So chance, chance always has some expected outcome, right? Where people might see it as chance is just a random thing. And randomness does play a part in all of this for sure. Um, but that's just a part of it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer that, that, you know, with, with the technology that we're capable of unleashing today and the data sets that we've, that we've gotten our hands around, there are a lot of really exciting things that can be done um, to help us make better decisions. And that's really what we're all focused about here at Edge. Right? We want to help people feel more confident in their decision-making, especially those people who are willing to accept the fact that we have too many biases as humans and there's you know, loads of them that are, that are, that have been studied and identified and researched, you know, and, and, and written about, um, I mean, going with your gut is a bad idea. It just is. Yeah. And it, in the long run, right. With enough, with enough samples, you'll find that you're typically not as effective as you are. If you're able to listen, you know, to listen to what the data has to say. And, um, you know, I don't want everyone certainly to turn into a robot. It's not meant to be, you know, certainly for coaches, right? We tell coaches, hey, we're telling you what the expected the expected result is if you play this game 100,000 times, right? You have one decision to make. Now, we think it's the right decision. Um, and lots of times it's by a fair amount. But, you know, we don't know right now if your left tackle just hurt his ankle or your quarterback's hungover or whatever it is that might impact the game. Um, but we can give you a better flavor for knowing what we know about your teams going into the game, what you should be thinking about right now. Yeah. So I just I just read the book uh, Thinking in Bets. Have you read that yet? No, I have not. Okay. Well, uh, a professional poker player wrote it, and the whole book is about how you should think about each decision as being a bet because it forces you to think about the data around the decision and think of it as okay. Well, what's the probability of these things versus uh, some kind of other uh, influence on a decision. If you think of it as a bet, you have more skin in the game. Yeah. And you're probably going to make a smarter decision. It sounds like, you know, applying data in, in these models is, is along those lines, but just yeah, using that, technology. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great analogy, Evan. And I, I agree with you. I'll definitely, I'll definitely grab the book. You um, should. It was great. I, I think, I think, you know, one thing that's worth mentioning is that the big difference that I've seen in the last, say, five or six years is the number of people who are willing to say, yeah, absolutely, let's take a look at it, right? It may not be the end all. I may not follow it every single time, but I want to know versus those that really don't. I mean, we have coaches, college coaches in this state that we have offered, that we have had, we have been approached by donors um, who want to donate our system to the program who won't That's accept cool. it huh. because they don't, they don't want to know, right? They, they think, it's crazy. They think it's a bunch of nerds who've never played football, which is not true. There's many of us in this company that have played football and other sports growing up. Um, and that's the sad thing. It's like, listen, you know, you may not, it may make you uncomfortable because you don't understand the math or it may make you feel like you don't have as much control. But at the end of the day, it's a better asset. Like we, we talked to, we talked to a GM once in the NFL 
who was humming and hawing. And we finally just said, listen, you have to understand we were traders. We were energy traders. And what we learned early on was that the very best companies in the space knew that they had the most sophisticated systems. They had access to the, to the best tools. They had the smartest employees, but they still bought everything they could get their hands on because they were trying to find every little piece of edge that they could. And the idea that you wouldn't do that is crazy to us. Um, but we still see it in sports, right? So, which again is why our customers typically perform better um, because they're open to it. So, interesting. Well, let's transition to the part of the conversation we always like to have, which is let's talk about the local ecosystem. You're in Louisville. Talk about um, just the good that you've experienced in Louisville and what things you're excited about, and then we can talk about some of the things that it can improve. Yeah, sure. So, I would say that a few things you know get me pumped about about building a business and, and in this you know, part of the ecosystem in Louisville. The first is this, the city itself, this, the people involved are so thoughtful and enthusiastic about helping support companies that show real promise. Um, there is a fairly extensive angel group here. I don't think it's the most organized or could be better organized, um, but there are a lot of people who will invest in early stage companies here, which is great. I think if you have a good idea and you're able to articulate it in a thoughtful way, then you can raise, you can raise capital here in town. Um, so that part is, is good. We don't have a large fund. You know, Chrysalis is not raising another one right now. There are other folks that are looking to do that, which is fantastic. Um, but we don't have that organized network. So I think that bringing the angel community together in a more organized way could be a real benefit. I'm also encouraged by the fact that there are groups now starting to understand that we've stepped on each other's toes too much over the years, trying to do good, trying to support companies in an early stage. So, you know, different organizations are, you know, through GLI and through um, LHCC and others, you know, are really trying to start to, to say, hey, we'll take healthcare, you guys do the rest, and we'll, we'll try to get companies through these early, early stages, I think is fantastic with programs and funding and whatnot. So that part's great. Um, I think in terms of, you know, the the things that we can continue to improve upon. One, one thing I've learned with Edge, and we did do some work outside of sports early on to help fund the sports business. So we did projects in healthcare and we did projects in education and fintech and other areas, is I never realized until we started the business how important um, the support of large companies was for the health of the startup ecosystem. And um, you know, especially obviously in the B2B space in particular, right? Having an early customer, having someone willing to write you a check that doesn't have to be significant, but it proves that, hey, there's something of value here, but also someone to help you test something out, right? To give you that feedback you need to improve and iterate on your product. Um, that's super critical. And, you know, cities like Cincinnati, our neighbors up the road, Austin, which is blowing up right now, have done a pretty good job of building those, those programs and that that openly um, you know and thoughtfully engage larger companies with smaller companies to help support them. I mean, we are not going to have another Humana or Yum or Thornton's or Brown Foreman unless we build a much much deeper base, you know, in our pipeline. And um, you know, we have a long way to go there. Those are the two things we hear most often. Um, one, what you just mentioned is there's got to be more collaboration between the corporate world and the the startup world. Because one, the corporate world could be an acquirer. They could have other customers that could be uh, useful 
to a startup. You know, there's all kinds of directions that the corporate uh, world could help a startup go. And then the other thing we hear is, you know, early stage capital, you know, early stage businesses having access to capital. So yeah, those are two things that, you know, we hear pretty often. Um, and one of them, you know, I'm definitely experiencing now as I'm fundraising, you know, for sure. Simba, um, you know, the, the angel group in Louisville is definitely much bigger than Lexington. Um, and it's, it's great. I like, I like the ecosystem there in Louisville. Um, but again, there's not a whole lot of VCs, as you mentioned, that even touch early stage investments around here. And that's what makes it hard. Um, cause you end up with a cap table with a ton of angels and less strategic, right. you know, good VCs. And that's hard. Yeah, no, again, they're very supportive. The mindset is great. I mean, listen, we've raised with, with this business so far about $10 million over the last eight years. And the, I think you know, my far be it for me to say the community hasn't been supportive. It really has. Um, but it's been in drips and drabs and it took us almost, you know, two years, really a year and a half to raise $5 million. Um, and we went through multiple channels and I'm someone who's already had a successful exit. Yeah. Right. So, and I can get the meetings, right. But I still found myself sitting at country clubs, shilling in front of people I'd never met before, which is fine. I'm happy to do it. That's part of the deal. But, um, you know, it's just, it, it always takes time to raise money anyway. I think Louisville could easily bring together 300 people that would put 50, 25 to $50,000 into a deal, right? And what I found, I've, I've given some advice to, to one friend who's, who's thinking about, you know, trying to bring some people together and put a fund together is, you know, if, if John Doe over here is willing to spend $500,000 on early stage investments, you need to put 250 into a fund and manage it with the promise that, you know, you'll use that 250, you'll spread it out. You'll, you know, you'll start to see the seeds um, start to germinate. And of your 30 companies you invest in, when those two or three really take off, that next 250 is now going to be able to come in and be smarter on top of that. Right. Um, mm -hmm. If you just spend 500 across the board, then, you know, you're, you're probably going to be fine but you've got to have the, you know, it, it's just, it, it needs to be spread out more in a portfolio fashion. If you're going to go in as an angel investor in any community, it doesn't even have to be in, in Louisville or Kentucky and put 50,000 in a deal or a hundred thousand dollars in a deal. And it blows up very quickly. You naturally recoil and you get, you get a little, you know, alligator arms at that point. If you've got someone professional managing portfolio of 20 to 30 investments for you, then it's a little different experience when the inevitable happens and 90% of them fail because that's just what's going to happen. But those two or, you know, those two or three or, you know, five to 10% that do well, really well, they pay for the fund. That's just the economics mm -hmm. and the math of early stage investing, but you've got to spread it out. And the average person, you know, it's not going to sit through, uh, you know, the 200 pitches that they need to decide which 10 they're going to invest in. They're right. just, that's just not what they do for a living. So that's where I think we need to organize it. But conversely, the economics of building a fund, it's pretty hard to make money as a fund manager if you're only going to put 10 or $15 million to work. For right? sure. You make two or $300,000 a year in fees to, to maintain the office and the workflow. And then maybe, you know, if you have a nice return, you might make a couple million bucks over 10 years, um, which sounds like a lot of money, but over 10 years, it, what you could be doing just for a job that, you know, I don't know. There's just, there's just, it's, it's hard. It's hard to raise a small angel fund 
with people who are trying to make a living off of it, I guess. You need to find people um, that, that, are, that are kind of past that point that want to do it because they want to do it for the community and, um, and really consolidate those resources. But it can be done. We have a great base here in Louisville for sure. Agreed. Yep, for sure. And kind of speaking of giving advice, you know, you're giving some advice around raising a fund. Uh, we have a lot of, of young entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast and as somebody who's gone through an exit and uh, started a successful company, what's one piece of advice, if you had to pick just one, I know that's kind of cliche, uh, that yeah. you would give to a new entrepreneur? Well, it is kind of cliche, but <laughs> I would say you have to be comfortable moving fast. What I've learned in the 20 plus years now that I've done this, both as a founder and operator and an investor and board member and a mentor, you name it, is being fast is a competitive advantage because there's a lot of companies that can't, especially larger companies. They just don't move very quick. And that is my cliche back to you, right? Big companies are slow, small companies are fast, but not every small company is fast. Being comfortable making decisions with less than perfect information is important. Being comfortable with making mistakes is important because you're going to, and it's okay. You can't beat yourself up over it, learn and move on and go to the next thing. Um, but I do think that, you know, there are a lot of founders who like to hum and haw and, and overthink it. And it, it should all be about speed in my mind. And I still press that with my team today, right? We've been at it eight years. We're, 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 we're in the middle of an extremely exciting deregulated industry like we had at Genscape back in the day when energy deregulated back in the late 90s. We're here again now with sports betting. Um, and it's the same story today as it was in the late 90s, which is we just have to move faster and take advantage of this opportunity. And so that would be my that would be my main piece of advice. I've got probably 30 other things that I'd want to tell people that I've learned over the years, but, I'm sure. but that's that's pretty tried and true. I love that. Well, thanks so much for coming on and having this conversation with us and sharing a little bit about edge analytics. Uh, before we let you go, we always like to give our listeners a way that they can find uh, you and the company and learn a little bit more. So go ahead and uh, give a plug for the, the website where they can go and learn more. And if they'd, they'd like to reach out to you, uh, where they can find, where they can find you. Sure. Yeah. Just go to edgesports.com. It's edjsports.com. That's probably the best way to find us and emails are there and info. And if you have any other questions or thoughts or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Well, again, thanks so much for doing this, Sean. This was an awesome conversation. We're looking forward to getting out to our listeners. Guys, thanks very much. I really appreciate um, you know your interest in having me on. And again, if there's anything I can do for you all going forward, let me know. 